Welcome to ENN This Week, the podcast where we talk about the big news stories happening in Oklahoma and also the biggest news stories happening on the Epic News Network, a student journalism program for Epic Charter Schools. I'm your host, Phil Cross, also co-director of the Epic News Network. Our other host today, Scott Carter, the other co-director. Welcome, Scott. Hey, it's good to be here today, Phil. All right, Scott, let's talk about the biggest story this week. Right now we're recording this on November 1st. November 1st, always a big year, a big day in Oklahoma every year because that's when new laws go into effect. That is correct, 90 days after the legislative session ends. But this year, there there's some big changes happening this year, probably bigger than I've seen in a few years. Constitutional carry is huge. Permitless carry, where you don't have to have a permit to carry a gun in public. That's huge. It's been the subject of all sorts of pushback from uh, gun control advocates, and I don't know whether that whole fight's dead yet. We just had the Supreme Court uh, decide not to issue an emergency injunction. There is still an active lawsuit, though, uh, going through about this specific piece of legislation. And it it's going to, it remains to be seen how you know what leeway the court's going to give if i'm correct and i could be wrong cuz i've been wrong before you can still on your own private property you can determine who can and who can't have a gun but other than that if you're at walmart there may be a guy the walking down the aisle well again that would be private property if you're at a city park there may be a guy uh there packing an AK-47 that you have to acknowledge and allow on those premises. We saw that with the opening of Scissor Tail Park and the big Kings of Leon concert. Then you've got the, the concerns as to what this does to the, the funding for the State Bureau of Investigation, and they are largely a large part of their money that comes in to fund these investigative services for the state comes from people getting Self-Defense Act uh, permits. I mean, that's that's a large chunk of money that they're uh, potentially missing out on. It, uh, it could be like years ago, remember when they did away with car inspections and it cost the Department of Public Safety several million dollars a year. It'll be interesting to see how that falls out. Well, you know what? I know someone who might be able to answer some of these questions. Let's go to, we have an interview where we spoke with State Representative John Eccles. This was his bill uh, in order to get uh, the permitless carry or constitutional carry passed. It's been a big day uh, for Representative Eccles as uh, as he celebrated the passage of this, and it's uh, withstood uh, some legal challenges so far. Uh, Representative Eccles, let's just jump right in and tell us what are you feeling today about constitutional carry? I, I think it's a good day. I, I think what we're going to find out is what I've been saying for a long time. It's really a non-issue. There are uh, 13 states that already had constitutional carry. New Hampshire has never not had constitutional carry. It's been a constitutional carry state since statehood. And Oklahoma, frankly, has had constitutional carry for citizens of Arkansas and Kansas for well over a decade. So, I think the only difference is going to be like the lady that stopped me on my way out of the rally today. Um, she was uh, on a chain and on a cane and had a service dog. And she said, you wouldn't know it by looking at me, but I'm trained law enforcement and trained bounty hunter. And now I live on social security disability. And I didn't have $250 to pay for the license that you guys make me get. I think people like her are going to be able to carry it. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's a good day. 
So is this going to be open carry for just anybody, or is it concealed carry, or? So you can carry open or concealed, and only the places you've been already carrying. So that's one of the confusions. Nothing in this bill changes where you can carry. As a matter of fact, the bill actually makes it harder to carry on um, private property, because before this it was just a fine if you carried when you were not supposed to and asked to leave and did not. Now, if you do that twice, it's a misdemeanor. The, the reason that makes a difference is because it suffers penalty of jail time. So if you're somebody that continually to carry, continues to carry when you're not supposed to carry, uh, you could have problems. But other than that, uh, you could open or concealed carry anywhere you could open or concealed carry now. And there's still the legal challenge uh, by another representative uh, claiming it violates the single subject uh, rule. How do you think the courts are going to rule find on that? Yeah, I, I think, well, first off, I, I'm always clear to say uh, Representative Lowe is a friend. We just have a good faith disagreement on this bill. Um, but that, I think the court is going to throw it out as it's done. I mean, the, the district court denied the temporary injunction, which is not surprising. Um, the Supreme Court denied the request for temporary injunction, which is, which is not surprising. The, the argument that this bill is not a single subject, if this bill is not a single subject, we could just disband the legislature because there's nothing we can do. Um, I mean, it's clearly a single subject. It's a last-ditch effort um, because it didn't work. Um, but I, I, I imagine he'll put a... I imagine he'll try to circulate an initiative petition, which he can do, to put it on the ballot. I anticipate that initiative petition failing because they've invested a lot of time telling people this bill will make the state unsafe. The data doesn't back that up. Uh, New Hampshire is one of the safest states in the nation, and it's never not had constitutional carry. Gun violence went down in Missouri after constitutional carry was implemented. I mean, the data is pretty clear. Constitutional carry doesn't have a positive or negative effect on violent crime. So I, I don't think that will be successful either. I think this is going to be one of those non-issues a year from now, very much reminiscent of open carry. Now, now nobody really talks about open carry, but when it first passed, this was before I was in the legislature, I mean, I kept reading people against it saying it's going to be the wild, wild west. People will be walking around with guns on their heads everywhere. It just hasn't happened. We're going to shift gears here. Uh, Representative Eccles, stick with us. The other big thing, also a bill by Representative Eccles that is going to be dramatically impacting the state's prison populations, and that is the commutations happening today because of the change in the law that takes some of these uh, crimes, uh, property crimes, uh, some drug crimes, moves them from felonies to misdemeanors. There are people that are serving sentences for crimes as felonies that, if they were caught today, would have been misdemeanors. I mean, this is a huge step it, forward. It is a huge step forward. Fallout from a couple of state questions that were uh, sparked by the ACLU and a bipartisan group uh, several years ago to uh, decrease the state's prison population and get some of these uh, felony nonviolent offenses off the books, move them, move those to misdemeanors. There, are, I last I heard, there were several hundred, and you may have a better figure than me, of people that were eligible for this early release and to have their sentences commuted. That could be a huge, 
huge number of people. This is a big deal we, because we've got we are first in the na- we're first in the world in per capita in incarceration. incarceration. I mean, and, and, and when we say this, I mean, I've seen the, the the numbers on this. You look at the United States compared to the rest of the world, the rest of the world, as far as the percentage of its citizens that are behind bars and locked up, and the United States is one of the highest. But you take that, Oklahoma smokes the United States' rate. I mean, it is. We are far We're and ahead above. of Louisiana. We're ahead of the rest of the country, the yeah. rest of the world. No other government on the face of this planet, locks up its citizens for these long periods of time like Oklahoma does. And you know, this is something, it's not a new trend. What's interesting about this, Oklahoma's prison system has struggled with overpopulation for decades. Go back and look during the 60s and 70s when federal judge Luther Bohannon took control of the state prison system, and we're seeing a repeat of the same thing. The, the, the state's prison system was under federal control for years because it was so overpopulated, and it's, it's, it's like history repeating itself. Well, and this is, again, like I mentioned uh, just a minute ago, uh, making this possible, Representative Eccles' bill that he, he helped carry through the legislature. Let's get back to Representative Eccles' Obviously, a, a pretty big day for you now on, on two fronts here. What does this mean for the state of Oklahoma going forward? We looked at the population of Louisiana, the population of Mississippi, and the population of Oklahoma. And we looked at real time how, ma- what, what, uh, how many inmates per 100,000 you have compared to their DOC population. And now we are firmly below Louisiana, over 20 inmates per 100,000 people. And we're within 18 inmates per 100,000 people of Mississippi. So not only are we no longer number one, but as I just said in the press conference, Mississippi, we're coming after you. I mean, we are trending down right now. Um, and, I, and I think that trend, I anticipate that trend continuing. Now, for people who think, oh, my gosh, we're letting you know hundreds of people out of prison just automatically, isn't, isn't that going to be dangerous? What, who are these people? No one would go to prison on. That's right. They wouldn't go to prison on them at all. So my, my argument is this is the legis- this is the very best of the legislature because we're doing exactly what the citizens said they wanted. What are we? What have we done to make sure that? 
these inmates are going to be get, uh, getting out. I mean, we've prisons haven't been funded enough to to be able to do education or reentry programs. And so often you hear that you go to prison and learn how to become a better criminal. What for all these people that have been locked up for these minor crimes? What have we done or are doing to help make sure that they're going to be able to reintegrate? That's why I love you as a reporter. That's a great question. So here's what we're doing, and I think this will be the big story Monday. So I'll prep you for the big story Monday. We have been having job fairs for a week with all of these people that are being doing. Over 85 different services and groups have come together. Everything from housing, how well they're going to be housed, to what employment opportunities they are, both nonprofits and people like the AGC, the Association of General Contractors that Need Workers. We also, for the first time in state history, every inmate will leave DOC custody with a driver's license, if they're eligible, if they're already eligible, or with a state ID. So what we've done in the past with DOC, and it's really interesting because the old director had always said it's a funding issue. Prisons are funded, by the way. Absolutely think we don't spend enough inmates. But, but we gave them a little increase, but not a ton. With their same budget, they are providing all of these services for 550 inmates. Number one, I'm proud of the state for finally doing it. But number two, it begs the question, why haven't we been doing this decade? And I think it's because you now have the pardon of parole board and the DOC director working hand in glove. They were both there today, and they were both talking about how wonderful their working relationship is, um, which could go down a whole other path. Of I think if there's a question of whether or not the, the legislature made the right decision giving the governor hiring and firing authority over the DOC director, the answer is yes, we made the right decision. Because when the governor has the fire to have the ability to terminate that person, it's amazing how quickly things got done. And things that we've never been able to do, now we're doing. Now, I think next year, the legislature should further fund these things. And we shouldn't just do this within 550 inmates. We should be doing this with everybody. Because, Phil, the, bo the bottom line is, we all want low recidivism. It's not just about, yes, it is about letting people out of prison because we can't afford it. But we also want to lower the crime rate so we just have less crime. Thank you, Representative Eccles, for joining us today. We are very appreciative of that. We look forward to working with you again when the session starts back up uh, in February of 2020. Moving on from the big news happening around Oklahoma, let's talk about what's new this week on the Epic News Network. Uh, one of the first things that we had uh, published this week, Scott, is kind of really the primer for impeachment. Uh, Taylor Bryant takes a look at what started all the impeachment talk on the national front and talks with Senator James Lankford when he stops in Shakota. Taylor did a great job on that, uh, and it's... Uh, that story uh, obviously is going to continue to unfold depending on what the U.S. Congress does. It has to start, impeachment starts in the House, and if the House votes to impeach the president, then it'll go to the Senate to decide whether or not he should be removed from office. Uh, that story is it's going to be fascinating. I don't think 
that we've seen a um, this much partisanship, this much big big of a fracture in the country since the 70s, since the Nixon White House. Absolutely. And once again, though, just like we were talking about with our prison population, we're seeing history repeat itself. Somewhere down the line, we're going to have to learn from it and move on because we keep going through the cycles of doing the same thing. Yeah. But that's for another podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and one of the things I, I noticed about Lankford's comments is he doesn't uh, address necessarily the issues surrounding impeachment, but uh, attacks the the way it came about and the, the timing of things. Uh, wants to he's encouraging everybody to read the transcripts of the phone calls with the president uh, and the Ukrainian president. Uh, so I think he's walking a pretty fine line right there as far as doing his duty to uphold the Constitution and rule of law in, in the United States and also get, make sure that he, he walks a political line there as well. Well, and I, I respect that. He also, because he's a member of the U.S. Senate, he will have to, in effect, sit as the jury and decide whether or not the president's guilty. And so he should do his best to keep an open mind at this point and wait till he hears all the evidence and then makes a decision. I respect that. It's difficult. It is, an, especially uh, if you're, you know, there's partisanship involved, there's politics involved, there, uh, there's myriad issues involved, and he's trying to uh, uphold the dignity of the Senate and, and as you say, the best way, I think that's the best way to describe it, walk a very fine line. Uh, next up on ENN, a story that I learned uh, a lot from and that, that I think was really moving uh, is Michaela Kimball's story on ReadSmart. And it's not just talking about this Oklahoma ReadSmart program that is expanding uh, and doing great work, but, but she adds a personal touch to this, describing her own struggles and battle with dyslexia. I, I love the fact that that wasn't a traditional journalistic narrative. It was a first-person account. I think there's room for that in journalism. And it, it was really compelling because she tells her own story, her own battle with it, and what she did and where she's at now. I love the fact that down there in the end she said she's read 80 books. For someone who struggles with dyslexia, that's huge. It opens a huge door. It's it's life changing. It's reaffirming. Um, there's there's a lot to that story just by the fact that someone didn't give up. There's she and, it, and she didn't go into that as much, but it, it's there. This this is a kid who has this huge issue. She finds help, and and figures out with the help of a, a program like Read Smart, figures out how to deal with this and keep going. And that's really powerful. And it's, it's, it's a good, good essay. It really is. I, I, I'm just super proud of, of that work uh, because reading is something, if you can read, you take it for granted. It's we, fundamental to everything we do. You, and, I mean, yeah. whether it's a book or a newspaper or a billboard, it's just what you do. I mean, we're talking out loud right now, but it's based on what we've read. So it's, it's, it goes to the core of everything you do. And if you can't, if you struggle with that and struggle with reading, know that there's help out there uh, through programs like Read Smart. You know, I know that, uh, that Epic Charter Schools has a lot of special services to try to hook students up with the services that they need. Uh, a lot of schools do. If you're out of school, uh, there are a lot of great programs that, that are out there that want to help you to read, that people 
if you need help, get it. There are people out there. It's not in judgmental. It's not, well, why didn't you do this or why can't you do this? It's let's help you be your best self. Several years ago, I read a book by an author out of Texas. Um, uh, his name was Robert Lee Merrill, and he wrote a book called Waltzing with the Ghost of Tom Joad. And it was about illiteracy and poverty in Oklahoma. And at that time, and this was around 2001, 2002, Merrill pinned, uh, pegged a number of 756,000 Oklahomans not being able to read at an eighth grade level. And that was in 2001, 2002. I have no doubt that that number has dramatically increased. But that's still at a state of a, with a state of a population of barely 4 million or just right at 4 million. That's close to a quarter of the population that can't read at an eighth grade level. So there are resources out there, public libraries, schools like Epic, public schools. There are all sorts of resources out there for people who struggle with reading. And as you said, it's not something that you need to be embarrassed by. It is an issue that people are prepared and willing and capable, and they have new tools and new ways to help you deal with it. And talking about uh, people struggling with their own uh, issues, uh, one of the things that, uh, that I'm, uh, I've been very proud of this week and we've, we've got out now uh, is uh, Riley Eisenhower's new podcast on LGBT in our community, talking with her friends and other teenagers about being a teenager that is in the LGBT community in Oklahoma. Uh, just very raw, very f- eye-opening uh, experiences for these, for this young man and young woman uh, talking about about what it's like to to, to come out, to know you're, you're maybe different than everybody else, but you're not that different that you don't have to be yourself. Well, not only that, but the reaction of family and friends and things like that. That, that podcast, I sat there and listened to that, and at times I, I felt a lump in my throat and my eyes were getting watery, and I'm, I'm listening to these kids deal with this issue. It, it was moving. It was, it was informative. People want to know what kids think. They should listen to Riley's podcast because it, you're hearing it from the kids themselves. It's not something that was scripted. This was just an impromptu conversation, but it's a very empowerful, very impactful conversation. And I think some of those uh, young kids have learned lessons that I think apply to all of us, LGBT or not, uh, about being yourself and accepting yourself uh, and and being proud of, of who you are. And, and I think that's something that we, we can all learn from. Well, that and their courage. Those yeah. kids are incredibly courageous. They've, they've got uh, guts that just, they're, they're astounding with their courage and their willingness not only to talk about it, but to maybe give other people who are struggling with the same issues some hope. Uh, and to kind of wrap up things on ENN uh, this week, we've got a couple of really uh, fantastic multimedia things going on. We've got uh, our tour of Pumpkin Town in Tulsa, Pumpkin Town Farms with Sophia Chavez. Uh, you know, watch her. She's going to be doing big things one of these days in broadcasting. Sophia will be at a national broadcast outlet sometime in her future. She's she's got she's got some skin in the game, and that was a great little. Uh, tour of just a little fall event in Oklahoma. She brought some real life to it. I love the interview. I love the visuals on that. Um, I'm, she's one to watch. She's, she's going to be a rock star. 
And then Ray Halgren also, she goes to uh, Branson with her family and says, hey, you know what, I'd like to do I'd like to do something about this. I mean, Branson's a place that a lot of us have visited. Oklahomans uh, go there for their vacations. She goes to uh, this Chinese acrobat show and talks to the performers afterwards to kind of really get us a behind-the-scenes look, but couple that with some absolutely stunning photography. Yeah, I'm a photographer, and I was jealous of those photos. That's the best way to say it. I was jealous. They were terrific. I mean, she captures all you got to say. That movement, she freezes it. uh, But then uh, read on in that story because she's really written out uh, what it's like to be a performer in one of those shows. You you may go see a show like this and just be awed by the spectacle in front of you, but she brings us the people behind the scenes, and that is just something that I think that everybody should go – Look out for the pictures and read for the story. Uh, it's really yep. got it all. Not bragging, but I think our student journalists are doing a top-flight job, especially for a program that's only a few months old. They have really hit their stride. We've got really interesting and diverse stories on the ENN website. They're compelling. They're personal. Uh, they're visually appealing. Uh, it's it's a good read. It's a good way to spend some time and catch up on some issues if you haven't had the chance. Absolutely. Uh, the website, epicnewsnetwork.org. You can also find us on all your popular social sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, you name it, we're there. If we uh, aren't there and you have a favorite social site you like, let us know in the comments, and we'll try to make sure that we meet you, meet our audience uh, where they are. Uh, and until then... Check out the updates coming up uh, this next week on ENN and join us back here uh, next week at the end of it. And we will have another wrap up of all the news happening in Oklahoma and on ENN. For the Epic News Network, ENN This Week, I'm Phil Cross uh, joining us with Scott Carter. Thanks for joining us today and we will see you next week. Have a good weekend.